Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here for today's episode that is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. And I am writing here solo today. And first of all, apologies for those that are used to the post-game pod coming through a little bit quicker than this. I had to leave the house straight away to go get to a work commitment so I wasn't able to podcast straight away. Frank's already asleep or he's tossing and turning in bed. I don't think he was too enthused about talking about the Bucks after this game anyway. And maybe it was better for me to get out of the house just for a couple of hours and think through this game and digest this one a little bit because it's another brutal loss for the Bucks. There's no other way to put this. Uh, this one really, really hurts. I, I thought game one was a game where the Bucks were in it for long enough that they gave themselves a chance to win and it felt very self-inflicted. Those were the words I used. Well, much of the same can be said about this one. We're going to go through it here with a fine-tooth comb, but ultimately the Bucks lose 116 to 114. A controversial ending, and I think that's where we'll start here. But the Bucks again, they're down 2-0 now. So this season, that quite frankly has felt completely different since it returned. Nothing has felt the same. Watching this team hasn't felt the same. They haven't looked the same. And now, all the work that went in from October through to March when the season went down is hanging by an absolute thread. This one wasn't absolute must win. You would have loved to get it, but game three certainly is. I mean, once you go down 3-0, you can kiss your season goodbye. So everything is on the line now for the Bucs. But let's talk about the end of this game. Because officiating, unfortunately, as it has been quite simply for too many games in the bubble, officiating is what the talking point is going to be from this game. And it's really, really bloody unfortunate, to be honest, that we have to constantly talk about the standard of officiating and the calls that are being made in this game. But this was another stinker for the refs, an absolute stinker down the stretch. And to be honest, uh, they ruined the end of this game. And it started with... A Chris Middleton foul on a three-point shot. The foul was called on Goran Dragic. I'm sure everyone that's listening to this has seen that. Uh, it's kind of interesting because as I watch the replay again, and obviously I've done that a number of times, I think it does become clear what the official was seeing on this call. So Chris Middleton rises up for the three-point shot. As he does, Goran Dragic is certainly straight up. But the call has been made for the body contact And I've got the pool report from the officials right here, right now. And they were asked, what warranted the foul on Chris Middleton's three-point attempt with 4.3 seconds left? The Bucs were down three at this time. Mark Davis, who, uh, let's be honest, not a favorite of Bucs fans, said, on Dragic's play, he doesn't allow him space. After he begins his upward shooting motion, he doesn't allow Middleton to space to land. And the contact by Dragic's torso to Middleton's knees is illegal, upsetting his balance. Thus, being deemed as an illegal act 
and a shooting foul. So <laughs> there wasn't a lot in it. And I think that that needs to be made clear. There was not a lot in this call at all, particularly for the end of a playoff game. But my question is, and we'll tie this into an earlier call with Andre Iguodala and Kyle Corver that came in the third quarter where Kyle Corver was an assessed a flagrant for not allowing Andre Iguodala enough space to land. So let's talk through this. Mark Davis has just said that Dragic didn't allow him the space to land. So... What is the difference between those two calls? And you can argue whether the foul is a foul in the first place. You can argue that if you want, but we literally just half an hour had a similar call where Kyle Corver did not allow Andre Iguodala the space to land. Iguodala rolled his ankle. So what's the difference? The fact that Chris Middleton didn't roll his ankle? Is, there some, is it somewhere stipulated in the rules that it's only a flagrant if a player twists his ankle? I'm not sure. I, I honestly, I don't know. I, I tweeted during the game that the Iguodala one was interesting to me anyway because if a shooter in his natural motion jumps forward, what is the defender supposed to do? Because this is very different from the Zaza Pachulia Kawhi Leonard incident where Pachulia clearly slid under the direct point where Kawhi Leonard jumped for that shot. And I understand that. But all these guys have different shooting motions. Iguodala jumped a few feet forward. I mean, he ended up with both feet well and truly inside the arc, and it's a three-point shot. So what is Kyle Korver supposed to do on that play? I'm not 100% sure. But I, I think when I was watching this play originally, the Chris Milton one, I thought to myself that, you know, the Bucks got away with the one there. I don't think there's a lot in it. I think I would be frustrated if the shoe was on the other foot and I was a Miami fan. But then when you hear the explanation... It's just baffling to me. It's baffling that that can be your explanation and you can come out and publicly say that. Then what's the difference? I don't know. Maybe I don't understand the rule. But either way, Middleton, to his credit, goes back and knocks down those three free throws to tie the game. Uh, and yeah, credit to him. Clutch free throws. He went back. He knocked them all down. Uh, impressive. And the game is tied at 114. Now to the more controversial call of the two, though. It's Jimmy Butler. 4.3 seconds left on the clock. As I said, he finds himself in the left corner, guarded by Wesley Matthews. I know, Bucks fans, they're saying, why is Wesley Matthews guarding Jimmy Butler and he's not on the bench? Well, he was guarding Butler on this play. I thought he did a decent job, but Butler created enough space to get a clean look. And then Giannis came uh, for the help, got a hand in his face, and unfortunately just committed a little bit too much and placed his hand on his back. Now, let's remember, the shot is well and truly gone by this point. It didn't affect the shot at all. But to the letter of the law, the officials can look at you and look at the replay, and they can say, yes, that was a foul. Now, it was soft. It was terrible. It's not the type of call that you want to decide a playoff game. But overall, this was an absolute disaster from the Mark Davis-led crew over the last two possessions. And... I will say that given they were both questionable calls, I'm not sure that you can sit here and really say that that, that cost the Bucks the game. I mean, obviously, in isolation, it did. But I think you have to look back to the other call and say that uh, they were both terrible. And the officials, once again, as I said right from the top, played too much of a factor in this game and certainly more so than you would want them to in this game. But... I think we're all going to come back. And, and as I was scrolling through Twitter in this one, a lot of vitriol towards Bud, and it's, it's heating up. And I will say, 
that I am absolutely not going to get into the post-mortem of this season or what should happen with this team after this playoff series is done. I'm not going to do it. We're going to have plenty of time to do that. At this point, in my opinion, the Bucs have been disjointed. They've looked bad. I thought in the second half, they were really promising, particularly defensively. There were still a few uh, mistakes that they made that need to be corrected. But again, I think that there's simpler issues at hand offensively, particularly with turnovers, and I'm going to get that. But the point is, I think that they gave themselves a chance to win game one and game two. So they're still in the series. And it does feel like it's a hell of a long way back. They have to win four out of five games. Is it likely? At this point, probably not. But they have got a chance to get back into the series. So I'm not going to get into what this team needs to do or the mistakes that they made uh, prior to this playoff series because it's not over yet. And they've got another game on Friday evening and uh, it's a must win. As I said, they need to get this series uh, back to 2-1. I want to go through the rotations, particularly a couple of key moments in this game that if you are going to criticize Bud, I I think these are the ones to look at. But before I do... A quick note about Rock Auto. You guys, you've heard me talk about Rock Auto. They're the best in the business. They're a family business that has been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor roll, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door, which is very handy in these times, of course. Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for the professionals as they are the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all those parts that you can pick up right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box that they know we sent you. It's locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com All right, let's dive into the rotation a little bit here for game two. I think if you look at the minutes spread, particularly for the starters, uh, there's some totals that are a little bit low, but again, foul trouble became an issue in this game. Giannis plays uh, just a few seconds under 36 minutes, 35 minutes, 39 seconds for Giannis. Brooke Lopez, 32. Wesley Matthews, 30. Bledsoe, 30. We'll get to him. Uh, Bledsoe's return, I thought, was important, particularly in the first half. And Chris Middleton played... 33. As far as the bench goes, George Hill, 25. Marvin Williams, 21. And then sporadic minutes for Pat Connaughton, Dante DiVincenzo, and Kyle Corver. And again, look, the bench wasn't great. Pat Connaughton, 12 minutes, minus 19 in that stretch. And I thought that the pivotal point, if I'm going to criticize the rotation at all in this game, the moment came in the third quarter. So the Bucs were making their charge. Chris Middleton was starting to really cook. He was happy in isolation. He was knocking down those mid-range jump shots. Milton was really feeling himself. And then he found Brook Lopez for an alley-oop. With 4.21 to go in the third quarter, the scores are tied at 78. And then 13 seconds later, Brook Lopez is out of the game. And this, to me, felt like the absolute critical stage in this game. You've been playing from behind the whole time. You've been down by double digits. You fight all the way back with those guys on the floor and Bud takes Lopez out. For Pat Connaughton, a guy that, as I said, ended up being minus 19 in 12 minutes. It was a disaster when he was on the floor. And that, to me, just summed up perhaps where the Bucks rotation is at the moment. It doesn't feel like they're, the moment is being taken advantage of. It feels like once the momentum swings in the Bucks' way, 
that rotation patterns are too rigid and they stick to where they are. You have to have a bit more feel for the game. I'm not an NBA coach. I mean, Bud is an NBA coach, okay? It's it's not really for me to sit here and say and, and criticize him from that perspective, but this is something that people have been talking about forever, that the starters don't play enough minutes. And you take Lopez out in that situation, as I said, he only played 32 minutes. He was a plus 12, Brook Lopez. You fought all the way back from double digits down and you take him out the second that the scores are tied. It makes absolutely no sense to me. And Pat Connaughton came in, uh, the, the heat went down and actually pushed the gap immediately back out to uh, five points. And then at the 2-11 mark, with the Bucks trailing by three, Marvin Williams subs out of the game and so does Chris Middleton. So now you're rolling without Lopez and without Middleton in a three-point game, and you bring in DiVincenzo and Corva, who have been incredibly ineffective. I know Corva knocked down some shots in game one, but this was the critical stretch. Again, it just feels like you're handing momentum in Miami's way, and then this was the period where the Kyle Corva uh, flagrant foul was called, and, and ultimately the Bucks went into the fourth quarter down four. So it wasn't absolutely disastrous. But that's the type of stage of the game where I think that the Bucs need to be putting the foot down and you need to say, I'll call a timeout if I need to call a timeout. If I'm Bud, I'll spread out my timeouts. I'll get you guys a rest. Let's get through to the end of this quarter. This is too critical because this is a chance where we could really take advantage. We're starting to roll. Chris Middleton's happy with Jimmy Butler defending him one-on-one. He's knocking down shots. He's bringing the spin moves. He's using his footwork. He's facing him straight up and knocking him down. Now he's throwing the lob to Brook Lopez I just don't know why that happened at that game. And when I think back in, in frustration of the fact the Bucs couldn't get over the line, that's the stretch that I'm looking at. And that substitution in particular of Brook Lopez and then after that, Chris Milton, I thought the Bucs could have gone into the fourth quarter with a lead. And that would have been a big mental uh, blow for the Heat because they dominated the game. And they probably should have been up by more. So I think that certainly there's some criticism there. And then in the, in the fourth quarter, it's difficult. Chris Milton picked up his fifth foul. And I think you can sit on either side of the fence on this one. I know I saw a lot of people saying, well, you, you just got to keep Chris Milton in. Uh, you, you can't afford to take him out of the game due to foul trouble. And I certainly understand that. I know why people may feel that way. I think you can take uh, from either side of the fence. The Bucs still had Giannis in there. They still had the other starters. If you can get Middleton just through to those clutch minutes and hopefully have him down the stretch, then I, I can understand the thinking there a little bit at least. He was out from the 506 mark and the Bucs were down 108, 102 at the time. And then he came back in at the 332 mark and the Bucs were down 110, 102. So there was only two points scored in that time. Of course, the Bucs are going to lack something offensively with Middleton out of the four. And the argument is you're down six in the fourth quarter with five minutes to go in a game that you could potentially go down 2-0. If you're going to go down, then let Chris Middleton foul out. So that would be the argument from people that would suggest that he should have stayed in the rotation, and I certainly understand that. But that uh, period there where Middleton picked up that foul was part of a really rough patch for Milwaukee in general. Uh, they went from the 6.05 mark of the fourth quarter right through to the 145 mark without scoring a single point. There was three turnovers in that span. And this is something that just continues to hurt the Bucs. I, I spoke about it after game one. I said, if you talk about the things that are fixable, 
with this team and the things that they should be able to figure out. Points off turnover was one of them because it's not just the turnovers that the Bucks are making. If you're going to have turnovers, fine. But it's the position in the floor that you have those turnovers. And for now, and for what we've seen for the first two games, and to be fair, what we've seen in the Orlando series, what we've seen in eight seeding games as well, all the turnovers are coming in the middle of the floor. They're coming at the top of the arc. And those are the areas that if you turn the ball over there with a lazy pass, you're going to give away transition buckets. And they've done that. Miami scored 22 points of turnovers in this game today. They were plus seven in points of turnovers. They were plus 12 in points of turnovers in game one. So plus 19 across two games. It's just really not a good number. And again, it just feels lazy. I tweeted it out, but the amount of times I've audibly said, what the fuck, when I see a pass in the air is unbelievable. I I don't know what they're thinking with some of these passes. And it was everyone in this game as well. And this is the concerning thing for the Bucs. It's not just one guy. Middleton had three turnovers. Giannis had two. Eric Bledsoe had three in this game as well. It's the guys that are going to have the ball in their hands. So uh, I don't know. It's, it's honestly just perplexing. It's perplexing to see these turnovers from a team uh, that you, you, you just don't expect that from. So uh, certainly some frustration from the Bucs. I think defensively in the second half, things looked a lot better. Now, there was some open threes, and I understand that. And Miami knocked down 17 threes, but I spoke about it after game one. What you have to do if you're the Bucs is you have to correct the points in the paint. That's your identity defensively because they've proven time and time again that you can withstand a team shooting 15, 16, 17, 18 threes. You can do it. You can still outscore them. And they nearly did in this game. They give up 17 threes to Miami and only lose the game by two points. And they did that because the points in the paint differential was 52 to 32. So I think a couple of things we saw here. More Brooke Lopez. Giannis uh, out on the floor for critical stretches for longer. Not as in as much foul trouble in this game, although there was a pretty critical uh, challenge that Bud used that proved to be a really important one with 9.22 to go in the third quarter to get a block charge call uh, reversed there. But perhaps more than anything, more Wesley Matthews. And this was the most basic of adjustments that he had to make. Wesley Matthews spent the majority of the night guarding Jimmy Butler. Didn't do a lot offensively. Wesley Matthews, zero for two from three. So he didn't have that scoring punch that he's had of late. But Butler, 13 points on the night, just three for eight shooting and 0 for two from the three-point line. Uh, and even only eight free throws down from game one. So I thought Wesley Matthews, again, what he does is he allows you to go one-on-one with Butler and he allows the other guys to stay in their position. He allows Lopez to protect the paint and Giannis to be that help defender. It's been a whole lot of bullshit to me listening to the media talk about Giannis and Jimmy Butler. And I said this before the game, but the biggest indicator of people that have watched the Bucks this season is simply by how they analyze game one if people were out there saying Giannis should have been on Butler and that was the problem without mentioning Wesley Matthews, then you can tell they just haven't watched the Bucks. If it's your opinion that Giannis should have guarded Jimmy Butler, then that's fine. Like I, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. Like That's a perfectly fine opinion to have. But if you don't at least acknowledge that Wesley Matthews was on the bench for the final five minutes of that game, then you're telling me that you know nothing about the Bucs and you know nothing about the importance of Wesley Matthews has had to this team. So tip of the hat to Wesley Matthews tonight. And I guess in some respects, again, you have to look at this and say, well, it's frustrating that you, you lock down on Jimmy Butler 
and you still can't pick up the win. When Frank and I spoke about this matchup, I think we thought that Jimmy Butler was the type of player that the Bucks might have success with. And I think we expected that it was because he wasn't going to be able to find that space. It was going to be all isolation. He wasn't going to shoot from the perimeter. So game one, when he was getting to the free throw line and getting to the paint, it was kind of a shock because that's not what we expected from him. So defensively, it does feel like the Bucks got something going in the second half. They hold Miami to only 50 points. They outscored the Heat in both the third and the fourth quarter. And in fact, they also did it in the second quarter. So they won three of the quarters. And I thought that late in the first half and then through the second half, defensively in terms of shutting down the paint, I think they figured some stuff out. Overall, they win the points in the paint battle 52 to 32. So I think you take some optimism from that. And you say, yep, I know. Miami's going to shoot some threes. I know. It's going to be frustrating. From time to time, they're going to be open from beyond the arc. I get it. It is frustrating to watch at time, but if they're not getting the points in the paint, then they have to shoot a shit ton of threes and they have to make it up big time because the Bucs were scoring down the other end. And if we want to keep talking from a positives from this game, I thought Eric Bledsoe's first half was absolutely sensational. He finished tonight 6-14 for 14 from the field, 5-13 uh, uh, for 13 from two-point range. But his penetration, his aggression, and his ability to create a little bit, one highlights how, how lacking the Bucks are for ball handlers and creators. But secondly, it shows how important he is to this team when he's being aggressive. I thought during the second quarter in particular, he kept the Bucks in touch with the Heat and gave them a chance in this game. So getting Eric Bledsoe back was huge. You just hope he pulls up well and is good to go in game three. And perhaps more than anything, more than any other reason why you should feel confident that the Bucs can get back in this series and they can win game three. And from there, 2-1, you're in it. It was Giannis in the second half, 19 points, but 7 of 11 from the field in the second half. That's the Giannis efficiency we know. So in the first half, just 3 for 7, but he really figured it out. Really figured it out in the second half. He was able to get to the rim. Yes, it was forced at times or aggression or just that that brute strength that brute mvp caliber play that we know it wasn't easy but he 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 started to get some confidence and that's the key thing for Giannis coming through in this game so I, i think there are some positives to take from this i already mentioned chris middleton again but he finished with 23 points six rebounds eight assists lopez i thought was big again three for five from three continues to hit those threes from the outside 16 points for him and seven rebounds so your four best players played pretty well. And I think they're going to have to because the Bucs aren't getting a lot off the bench right now. And they haven't got many other options to go to. And that's the problem. And that's why everyone keeps screaming out to say, play your starters more minutes, bud. Get them up closer to 40 minutes. They're going to have to in game three as long as they can afford to stay out of foul trouble. Chris finished with five fouls uh, on the night. Giannis four, Brook Lopez four as well. So that might be as simple as that. Either Bud has to be more open to playing these guys when they're in foul trouble or they just have to simply find a way to stay out of foul trouble. It's scary. And this is something we've always said with this team and particularly in relation to Giannis. The way that he plays, the style he plays with, the force, the aggression, foul trouble is always going to be an issue particularly because of the way he's called. And we know that. He gets no favours. He gets absolutely no favours. 
It's hard to swallow at times. There's no doubt about that. It doesn't make a lot of sense for an MVP player, but we can carry on about that all night long. He's not going to get those calls. So he has to find a way to play without picking up those early fouls and getting himself in trouble because it's too costly to this team. And like I said, it's do or die right now. As far as the Heat go, as I said, I think defensively, the Bucks in the second half were a lot better. I still think that the second chance points at times really hurt Milwaukee, even though it was actually a, a pretty damn good rebounding game for the Bucks. They out-rebound the Heat 50-38 to and 17-7 to on the offensive glass, and the second chance points count when Milwaukee's way 22-12. to It did just still feel like the hustle plays... Miami were getting to all of them. And it felt like a lot of Milwaukee's offensive rebounds were long rebounds or simple ones that went straight to them. So it's something to watch. I thought the Bucs got their urgency back in the second half. I thought they got their mojo back a little bit. The only other thing I would say defensively, and our good friend Dean Maniart was absolutely upset about this. Let's just say that in our group message that we got going. At, time the, at times, the Bucs don't really look like they know what they are doing defensively, whether they are playing their usual dropback scheme, whether they're switching. I think a part of this has come from the way Miami play. Dribble handoff after dribble handoff after dribble handoff after screen, after pick and roll. Pick and roll didn't work. Drop it back. Another pick and roll. Dribble handoff. There's so many players moving everywhere. They're such a unique team. And Spolstra, the words I used was, has them running like a well-oiled machine. And he does. While we look at the Bucs at times, clunky offense, the Heat, even when they miss, it just looks beautiful. The player movement, the ball movement, it's fantastic. He's an incredible coach and his team is well drilled for this. But I think there's certain situations where late in the game where Kelly Olenek knocks down the three. So as the great Marcus Johnson would say, KYP, know your personnel. You've got to know that when Kelly Olenek is on the floor, and this is clearly a direction, but this is my opinion, if Kelly Olenek is on the floor, there's two things you can do. You're either going to switch and you're going to defend him on the perimeter and you're not going to allow him to shoot a wide open three or you're going to see what we saw a little bit of with Nikola Vucevic and whether the guard is Eric Bledsoe, whether the guard is George Hill, whether the guard is, is Chris Milton, whoever it is, drop back to Kelly Olenek and whatever you do, just don't allow a completely wide open three as Olenek got, and of course he knocked it down because uh, the Heat seemed to be able to come up with the big shots when they needed them. Overall, whether you're frustrated about the first half of the Bucs, and in particular the first quarter when the Bucs looked all at sea, and I actually messaged a couple of friends and I said, I think the Bucs are toast here. I don't think they can come back in this series. They just do not look comfortable. They don't look themselves. They look completely out of it. At the end of the game, even though the Bucks lost, I actually felt like I had more hope at the end of this game than I did at the end of the first quarter because the Bucks started to get some things cooking a little bit. We saw last year that what can happen when you have a 2-0 lead, it's a mountain to climb, an absolute mountain to climb. There's no doubt about that, but you have to take it one game at a time. The old cliche, here I am, listen to me. I'm a podcast host. I'm throwing cliches out there, but you have to go one game at a time. The Bucks have to get game three. There's just absolutely no doubt about that. There's no way around it. They have to get it. They know that. At times, I feel like we've felt that there's been a lack of urgency from this Bucks team from the bubble, certainly from appearances it has looked that way. 
Well, the urgency has to be there now. It just has to be. You've got no other choice. If the Bucks lose game three, their season is basically over, and that's the position we're in. It's not the position anyone thought uh, we were going to be in watching the Milwaukee Bucks in the postseason. But hopefully I've given some reason for hope after listening to this podcast because the season ain't over yet. Just a few other numbers from this game. As I mentioned, Giannis, 29 points, 14 rebounds, three assists, 19 points in the second half. Uh, Brooke Lopez with 16 points. Bledsoe, 16. And Chris Middleton, again, 23 points, six rebounds, eight assists. Uh, He's averaging 25.5 points per game in the second round. So Chris Middleton continues to play well. And that's another positive for this team moving forward. The, the right guys are playing well. They've lacked contributions off the bench. There's no doubt about that. But again, if Giannis can get going like he did in the second half, right from the outset in game three, I like their chances of taking this win. And then once you get it back to 2-1, it's a series. So plenty left to talk about this game. Tomorrow, I will not be solo. So you'll have another voice to listen to outside of mine. But hopefully, uh, you've got something out of this pod as I've just sort of... Let some thoughts go. Let some thoughts go after this game. I've had some time to think about it. I actually don't mind doing the solo pods from time to time just to roll a, a little bit. And uh, this pod, actually, me, what I've just spoken about, this is normally how long Frank's talks to before I, I get a go on the podcast anyway. So it, it feels completely natural. And Frank, hopefully you're not listening to this podcast. So take it back. Uh, I love you, my friend. Uh, I'm only joking. But game three, Friday night, same time, 5.30 Central, Look for the podcast tomorrow. We're going to talk through this game a little bit more. We're going to project ahead to game three. We're going to have reaction from practice and get a little bit of a feel for where this team's head at. Uh, Stay positive, my friends, if you possibly can. It's not over until it's over, and we have still got a long way to go in this series, we hope. My prediction was Bucks in six. You had to lose two games. Did you want to lose two games at the front? Probably not, but now you just have to win four straight and everyone's happy. We move on. That's the aim. That's the goal. That's what we're looking for. Stay safe out there. Look after yourselves, and I'll speak to you guys tomorrow.